On the 29th of July, 1917, young stockman James Jimmy Darcy suffered a terrible accident while working on the Ruby Plain Station deep in the Kimberley region of northwestern Australia. He was mustering cattle when his horse stumbled in a hole, throwing him to the ground before subsequently rolling over and crushing him. Alone and unable to move, Darcy wasn't even discovered until several hours after his fall. His workmates carefully laid him on a flat wagon with no cushioning or springs and took him to the homestead, but when they realised that there was no one qualified to help, they again got him on the wagon, made him as comfortable as possible, and slowly began the agonising 12-hour journey to Halls Creek. On the 1st of August, Jimmy's two brothers, Walter and Thomas, who were also working as stockmen in the region, were informed of their brother's condition. Determined to be with him, they mounted their horses and rode out, travelling the 400 kilometres from Wyndham to Halls Creek in only 80 hours, carrying no blankets and little food and water, riding through incredibly rough terrain with five horses so they could alternate between them, and only stopping once for a rest and a change of horses. They arrived at Halls Creek to find Jimmy in a bad way. He was barely clinging to consciousness and his lower abdomen was swollen. Fred Tuckett, the postmaster of Halls Creek, had completed the equivalent of a first aid course years before and had enough medical knowledge to recognise that Jimmy Darcy's condition indicated that he had internal injuries. There was no doctor in town and Tuckett had already telegraphed Wyndham and Derby only to find that both their doctors were away and unreachable. In an act of both inspiration and desperation, Tuckett wired down to Perth and got into contact with the man who'd given him his training, Dr. Joe Holland, who was 2,800 kilometres away. Sitting in Perth's general post office and using Morse code, Dr. Holland was able to diagnose Jimmy Darcy as having a ruptured bladder and that he needed to be operated on immediately. While Tuckett was understandably apprehensive, as his first aid certainly did not extend to surgery, he knew that either he operated or Jimmy Darcy died. So, with a pocket knife, a razor, and a little bit of morphine, with two men holding him down while Dr. Holland was sending him instructions via Morse code, Tuckett cut into Jimmy's side to release the pressure and inserted a small pipe for drainage and then stitched him back up again. For a while it seemed Jimmy Darcy was doing better, then the excruciating pain returned along with the swelling and again Dr. Holland was put on the wire with the postmaster of Hall Creek. Dr. Holland realised that a second operation was needed, a more serious one. Again, with a pen knife, razor and almost no morphine left, Tuckett operated, the two surgeries happening over the course of seven hours. A Perth newspaper, The Daily News, reported on August the 10th that, quote, it is stated that as a result of the last operation, a large amount of blood and fluid was released and the patient was immediately relieved." End quote. In fact, in the midst of the darkest hours of World War I, this story of a bush surgery via telegraph made national news. While it was hardly the first operation to be conducted in such horrible, isolated conditions, it was the first that the country could follow along with, basically in real time, watching the events unfold as news came in dashes and dots down the wire. 
The papers at the time were absolutely drenched in the blood of those lost in the trenches in Europe, and the public were drained and desperate for any sort of good news. And this incredible tale of triumph from Jimmy's bravery to his brother's spectacular ride to be with him, from Tuckett's skill to Dr. Holland's faraway voice of instruction and comfort, made the Australian public all cheer for Jimmy Darcy's life. The WA Record reported on the 11th of August, quote, Dr. Holland leaves Perth by the SS Moira for Derby, thence to travel per motor to Halls Creek to attend him. Under the skilful care of our genial medico, who holds a leading place in his profession, great hopes are entertained of his ultimate recovery. We read of heroism in the full limelight of war, but here in the drab, lonely peacefulness of the Australian bush, these two brothers have minted from their brotherly comradeship an achievement that can rank alongside the bravest of brave actions. End quote. But behind this hopeful print was the reality of Dr. Holland's journey. After Jimmy Darcy's second operation, it was clear that he needed real medical help, and seeing as how he was too unstable and in too much pain to be moved, and the other two doctors in the region were already stuck in their own battles to save lives, Dr. Holland determined that he would have to get from Perth to Halls Creek himself, a distance that could take two weeks to travel. As stated in the newspaper, Dr. Holland left via the SS Moira on the 9th of August, but what they failed to mention was that not only was this the only ship going to Derby, but that it was a cattle ship, not licensed to take passengers. Dr. Holland was only allowed when they heard that he was travelling to bring aid to that young stockman that they'd all been reading about. The moment he landed at Derby, he was met by a group of experienced bushmen who had a Model T Ford ready to escort him to Halls Creek. While intending to drive the rest of the way, this proved difficult, as the rough roads of the Kimberley proved too much for the little car with narrow tyres and a 1917 engine. They endured flats, radiator leaks, bogs and rocks damaging the undercarriage. At one point as they were struggling to cross the Sandy River, a local group of Indigenous people came across and helped to push their car. As they strained to make the petrol last, Dr. Holland actually used the tubing of his stethoscope to siphon the last drops of petrol from the last can. Despite all this, the car finally broke down 40 kilometers out from Halls Creek. Dr. Holland then walked two hours to the nearest station where he was given a horse for the last leg of the journey and he traveled through the night to reach his destination. He came to Halls Creek at daybreak and finally met Fred Tuckett, the man who he'd only known through Morse code. Tuckett informed Holland that James, Jimmy Darcy, had passed away the day before. Walter and Thomas Darcy were with his brother when he died on the 22nd of August, 1917. He was 29 years old. Dr. Holland examined the body and discovered that the operation had been a success but the shock and constant pain had severely weakened Darcy, and then, when malaria had set in, he'd had no strength to fight it. The gut-wrenching thing was, Holland knew that if he had been able to get to Darcy sooner, or if there had been some way of transporting Darcy to Wyndham or Derby, he would have survived. The nation responded to this with an outpouring of grief, heightened by the destruction of the firm hope that so many had held for Jimmy Darcy's recovery. This along with the constant agony of the war, left many people asking, how could James Jimmy Darcy have been saved? One of those asking was a man who'd been asking that question for many years, the Reverend John Flynn. Flynn of the Inland, the man on the camel, 
the man on the $20 note. He was a Presbyterian minister who'd spent the last half decade of his life travelling through some of the most remote parts of Australia. He saw firsthand the desperate need for both social and medical aid, and though he and many others were doing their best with what they had, Jimmy Darcy's death served to highlight the tyranny of distance they all had to overcome. Flynn had been campaigning for years to address this problem, writing numerous reports, essays, books and newspaper editorials. Lieutenant Clifford Peel, a young medical student and pilot from Victoria, had been following both Flynn's writings and the tragedy of Jimmy Darcy closely. Before he was shipped out to France, he managed to write to Flynn with his own answer to this problem. Aviation. In 1917, aviation was still very much in its infancy in Australia, dangerous and expensive. But the notion of an air ambulance grabbed at Flynn, settling in his mind, staying there until it was fully realised a decade later in 1928, with the Aerial Medical Service, later to be known as the Royal Flying Doctors Service. The Flying Doctors have saved thousands of lives in their 90-year history, and to this day they remain the oldest air ambulance service in the world. And in the spirit of the Good Reverend, it remains free. But like James Darcy, Lieutenant Clifford Peel would never know what impact his one letter had on the Reverend Flynn. Peel's plane was shot down on the 19th of September 1918, two months before the end of the war. He was only 24 years old. Stockman James Darcy and Lieutenant Clifford Peel never knew the legacy that they left behind, nor could they have guessed that a hundred years after their deaths that people would still remember their names. Because we never really know what impact we have on the world, unless the good Reverend Flynn is correct in his thoughts of the afterlife. All we can really hope for is that whatever we leave behind is something good. <laughs>